Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Okay, so John, uh, uh, March 21st was a very special day for you and for the world, actually, uh, because you've done something that uh, is uh, awesome. So tell us about what happened on March 21st. Well, on March 21st, I got this. I don't know if you can see it. Yes. It says best day best, ever. Best day ever. Let's see. I yeah, I, we, we saw it. Yep. We saw it. Yeah. And that, that's the shirt I have on there. Hey. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I, I got that because Monday I gave my 100th blood donation at the NIH. And you know, I added it up. One hundred pints is twelve and a half gallons. Wow! Blood. So that's whew, a little fantastic. So amazing. Uh, they um they had a little ceremony, and uh, I got a cake. No, wait a minute. Come back. Here we go. I got a cake. I don't know if you can see that okay. clearly. It says, congratulations, John, on your 100th. Okay. And uh, this is really messed up. I'm going to have to um, do this more uh, technologically correct because um, my emails didn't go through. So maybe later on, I'll actually show you the actual photographs. They gave me a, a plaque. They had a little ceremony. And let's see if I can show you the show you the little ceremony they had. Okay, and this is the uh, the the doctor, the head of the transplant unit. Uh, that's not showing up very clear on on my screen, but I don't know. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll get it together later on and show it to you. But um, so it, it was a big old plaque. And, big old plaque. And it says, let's see, it says, oh. It's hard oh. for us to read. Anyway, it says, Department of Transfusion Medicine recognizes John M. Buchanan Jr. for 100 donations on behalf of the countless number of clinical center patients generously supported through your blood donations, March 21st, 2022. So uh, it's pretty emotional. Then they, they took me to the, um, to, the, to the studio. They have a studio in the basement of Building 10 where they take all the um, dignitaries and everything for, it's like a professional photography studio. So they, they took some pictures. So. I'm an officially, I'm officially a member of the NIH DTM, Department of Transfusion Medicine Hall of Fame by doing 100 donations. So when, when, when you go in to donate, uh, videos of the 100 donors come up on the screen. So I've been, I've been waiting for this for a long, <laughs> for a long time. And uh, the background behind this is... Uh, Definitely due to our 
uh, mentor right here, uh, Dr. Clive Callender, because uh, the reason this all started, I attended a lecture at the Lipset Auditorium at uh, on campus of the NIH. I happened to be doing a, a summer fellowship there uh, in the computer technology uh, arena. And he talked about MOTEP, he talked about uh, the uh, inequity between uh, African-American uh, receiving donations and the African-Americans donating. So I said, well, that, that's not right. It was something like 65% of the recipients and only 15% of the donors. So I said, well, that, that doesn't sound right. So let, let me do something about it. But the problem was I was afraid of needles, literally <laughs> terrified of needles. So that was a big deal for me to get over. But, you know, after a hundred times, I guess I'm kind of used to it. So that's how it. many people are in the congratulations? How many people are in the Hall of Fame? You know, I, I asked them, and I don't know. They, they said it's it's a, a rare occasion, maybe uh, one every year or every year and a half, something like that. We'll we'll, we'll be able to get into it. But um, so I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of that. Congratulations. Yeah, I remember, I remember that talk in 1996. Wow, is, uh, 26 years ago. Wow, it's amazing that uh, that uh, you are so persistent and uh, so willing to uh, help so many others, and and that's probably one of the commonest transplants of all is blood transfusion. Yeah, uh, you, you know, t tissue donation. Um, uh, I, I I didn't think of it as as um, you know uh, a transplant at first, but now now I do because uh, because of your because of your 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 lecture, and I remember um, I also signed up to be a um, a bone marrow donor, and uh, you had a, a young lady there who was beautiful, and said that she had been a a, a bone marrow donor, and and it hurt, but it, it didn't hurt too bad. It, it, she felt like somebody had punched her in the hip. That's what she, she said. So I said, well, doggone it. If she can do it, I can do it. You know? Yeah. She, she just called me about six weeks ago. I was amazed that uh, she's still uh, doing that kind of work and doing it well. Yeah. And I told her about you. Oh, well. That, that you're, you were about to give you a 100th donation. But anyway, we're all proud of you. Congratulations, and uh, uh, we can't, uh, you're quite a hero. Quite Thank a hero. You so much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you ready to start the show? I am. Let's see. Let's go with this. A lot of interesting articles to discuss uh, with a variety of subjects. Some are uh, excitingly positive and some are excitingly negative. Go back, hold on. Okay. The one that all of us are, uh, will have interesting discussions about 
is uh, whether daylight saving time is a standard time uh, is going to be good or bad or in between. So we'll have a lot of discussion about that article. And uh, I don't see uh, Daryl, but uh, there's also an interesting article on uh, cold showers, which he talks about. And uh, uh, there's a, a gentleman in, in the Washington Post who talks about how uh, cold showers helps with depression and, and anxiety uh, and how, uh, how uh, good it was for uh, dealing with anxiety and depression. Of course, uh, I don't know how many people are gonna buy that one, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, this is the article about the man who got the first genetically modified pig heart. And uh, he lived for two months and then died. Uh, that cause of death was not known, but uh, uh, several days before his death, he started deteriorating. Uh, and uh, that's uh, interesting situation because the uh, genetically modified kidney transplants were done in October. This transplant was done in January. And so the genetically modified kidneys are still functioning well and that those patients are doing well. The difference is that with kidney transplant, you have dialysis. With uh, heart transplants, you don't really have an option. Uh, of course, uh, we remember that uh, John Robinson, our beloved uh, member, uh, actually uh, had the opportunity to get on one of those machines that keeps your heart beating, but felt that that was not dignified and uh, not the way he wanted to spend his life. Uh, so that for most people, uh, if the heart transplant work, then the uh, likelihood of death is is commonest alternative. Any comments about this uh, 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 tremendous event, which uh, was the first uh, xeno transplant of the heart uh, that we've done in since way back in the sixties, uh, and. Uh, any comments or discussion about it? I have a question. Yeah. My question is, um, they didn't just say that it was rejection for the cause of death. They didn't identify the cause of death. So we'll have to wait until they give us a report from the autopsy. So we don't know what, what was the cause yet. Have they ruled out um, Rejection? They have not ruled out anything. Uh, but I'm sure they'll give us a full report after uh, they've done the autopsy. And, uh, but they haven't, they gave us no information. But I'm sure and, they will. And I would think from that report that they'll learn something and they'll continue on and get better. Yeah, I, I think this is the beginning of something that's special. Since 20 people die every day because of the shortage of donors, 
it's something that uh, we need to learn from and, and, and improve upon and, and get better and better and better. And uh, as you said, uh, this could be the beginning of something that's very important. Now, this is an article that talks about uh, doctors and, and, and the top causes of death. And uh, sometimes uh, people think that doctors are healthier than other people. And uh, sometimes they are, but uh, some ways they uh, don't do as well. And this talks about and shows that uh, uh, white male physicians had an older mean of death than white male lawyers, white males of other professions. Uh, uh, and same was true for black physicians, which was, uh, was it, six years more older than lawyers and uh, three years older for males of other professions. Uh, so, uh, but the, the irony of it is that uh, actually the uh, training of doctors is anything but healthy. And so it is, it is actually kind of amazing to me that uh, the doctors live as long as we do. Because our, our medical school and interns, internships and residencies associated with so little sleep and uh, so, so little good health that uh, it's amazing that we do that. Uh, but the, the other thing that uh, is clear is that uh, we have a greater risk of dying for cerebrovascular disease, accidents, and suicide, uh, which is uh, interesting. And uh, suicide is the most common cause of death. I'm sorry? You had a question? That was that was doc that was Dr. Atto. What did you say? That was Dr. Atto. What did you say? We didn't hear. Okay. He didn't realize he wasn't muted. Oh okay. Uh, but uh, uh, at that young age you can see that suicide is the most common cause of death, age of ten to thirty-four, especially among physicians. And you may wonder why. I wonder why but it's uh, startling statistics. Also, people sometimes forget that uh, doctors are exposed to uh, infections and other uh, accidents uh, that occur while taking care of patients. But why we have uh, so many cerebrovascular uh, problems is uh, question as well. Doc, what, what is hyperlipidemia? That's where you have the cholesterol is very high. And that's uh, usually a congenital uh, situation, but uh, uh, it is associated with uh, heart attacks and deaths, sudden deaths. Sometimes it's related to the diet. Sometimes it's related to a congenital condition which the cholesterol level is very high. Okay, we have another article. 
that was that was from October 20, 2020. This one is more recent. Yeah. Yeah, and they look at, uh, if you remember the doctor who, who was emergency doctor who just couldn't take all of the people dying from COVID. And she took her own life. And uh, what it, it points out is that doctors need help as well as anybody else. And um, you can see at the top, they talk about the fact that there's a stigma associated with doctors seeking mental health. And uh, so that needs to be done away with. Uh, but that's not the case right now. And so we need more support for doctors as well as healthcare providers to take care of patients because it's, it's not easy getting used to losing patients. Uh, it, it takes a, a lot of uh, understanding of the fact that, that we don't uh, control life and death. But uh, while that's true, it still is depressing when most of the patients you take care of don't survive. <clears throat> and so that's, uh, so people who then get depression need to be treated just like anybody else with depression, whether they're doctors or not. And that is the uh, concern that uh, doctors have easier access to medications. And uh, so if they're not, uh, being treated, they can, can be in a position to successfully commit suicide, which they have been doing. And certain uh, specialties, uh, pathology, where they work with the dead people, general surgery, oncology, where they work with cancer patients, infectious diseases, emergency medicine, are the groups that have the highest suicide rates. Uh, one of the biggest problems is that they try to keep it to themselves. And uh, if they have a therapist, they often have to re report receiving treatment to licensing boards. So that is a deterrent to getting treated. And so this is one of the obstacles that needs to be removed. Uh, but it hasn't been yet. So. This is a concern. Dr. Callender, are there any required courses with doctors uh, yeah, in line with uh, mental health? None that I know of, really. Uh, I, uh, voluntarily, you can do it, but there's no required course. Voluntarily, you can. They have uh, mental health courses that you can take, but none of them are required. If, if you're just learning to be a doctor, you probably wouldn't uh, be aware of the need so soon, maybe later on, <laughs> you know, in, in your practice, that's when it would become critical, I, I would think. And then that's why many of the people who committing suicide or younger for the same reason you gave. 
Do you think pediatricians would have a low rate of suicide? They would have a low rate because the, uh, children don't usually die, but but um, obstetricians, gynecologists as well, their patients don't usually die. So, uh, but uh, you saw the ones who have the highest rates of those who uh, anesthesiologists also, because they have greater access to uh, medication. You see this 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 provider protection act that. Uh, creates a mental health campaign, uh, but I haven't seen any benefit of it yet. So it's, uh, it's a tragic data. That's, any other questions about that before we go on to lights on during sleep is interesting that uh, this article says that you shouldn't sleep with the lights on because it interferes with your insulin levels and uh, uh, and this may be a cause for uh, high insulin resistance, which is the cause of type two diabetes. So they're suggesting that uh, you should not keep the lights on when you're sleeping. Any of you sleep with the lights on? Yeah, I do. Mm. Some people sleep with the TV on and other things. So. TV and lights. Yeah. Some people are afraid of the dark. And so they, they, they require light. So, so Dr. Callender, is that particular to your eyes? It doesn't affect any other part of your That's, body. For, it's probably the brain. The brain is... Uh, uh, sensitive to it uh, and they don't uh, they, they they don't they talk about the production of melatonin which is uh, mm -hmm. which helps you go to sleep and they suggest that uh, light affects the melatonin the heart rate and insulin and uh, one of the advantages of, of sleep Theoretically, as the heart rate goes down and the necessity for insulin goes down as well. And they're suggesting that uh, light alters the glucose metabolism uh, by increasing insulin resistance. So e even, even if you have the light on, if you have a sleep mask that covers your eyes, would that be okay? I would think so. They don't discuss that aspect of it, but that that probably would. Uh, uh, that's the equivalent of having the lights off. So. Right. Thank you. Dr. I just had my I just had my test for my A one C, and I'm five point eight. Damn. <clears throat> oh, okay, that's pretty good. That's great. Yeah. Doctor Callender, I take uh, I um. When I take a nap, you know, the lights are on, you know, and uh, I take a nap during the day, television might stay on and the lights might stay on. But when I go to sleep at night, I want it dark as possible. How long are your naps? Uh, my naps are about 
an hour. Yeah, it's recommended that they should be no longer than an hour. Yeah, that's the ideal. They say people who take naps live longer than people who don't take naps. Into the night, they live longer. You say they live longer? Yes. I think it's been late. I took a nap. I don't nap. take planned naps. I just find myself napping. <laughs> what about people who work at night and have to sleep during the day does that have anything to do with the yeah there was an, an article on that that suggested that that's not healthy either but uh and that uh, people who work at night uh, uh had higher death rates than those people who didn't, but they didn't go into detail on why. Oh, okay. I did 30 years of night work. Ah. Okay. <laughs> Some people are just doing better than others. Now, this is the article about uh, daylight, saving daylight saving time, and it's a <laughs> tremendous uh, debate going on now as to whether this is healthy or unhealthy. The data is pretty clear though, that daylight saving times is associated with adverse cardiovascular events, uh, mood disorders and motor vehicle crashes. And the data is uh, quite uh, voluminous uh, so that uh, the American Association of Sleep Medicine, Academy of Sleep Medicine, strongly opposes daylight saving time. And they, they think it should be standard time, but it should not be daylight saving time. So they're strongly opposed to it because the data says there's more heart attacks, uh, more motor vehicle accidents, and uh, more accidents in general. And so uh, they, they think that this, the uh, Senate has made a big mistake. Mm -hmm. and, and suggesting that and improving uh, daylight savings. Um, what they should have approved, they say, is that uh, standard time. Standard time. Without change. Mm -hmm. But all of the studies so far have demonstrated that uh, uh, this reduced sleep and the metabolic uh, damage uh, to the biological clock is long-term and uh, uh, the evidence is voluminous. So any, any thoughts by you on the subject of daylight saving time versus standard time? Doc, you know what myocyte gene expression is? Myocytes? Yes, the uh, myocytes are the muscle cells. And the genes in the muscle, and of course, uh, uh, how this, my, when we talk about epigenetics, we mean things that uh, in the environment uh, that may be uh, psychological or otherwise that actually affect the gene. And this affects uh, short term and long term, uh, affects the genes which. Are resulting in obesity, metabolic syndrome, and 
other things. So that uh, this is one of the, the, what they would call one of the most profound epigenetic uh, phenomena that uh, uh, dangerous, they say. I feel like, personally, I feel like they need to stay with standard time. And if you think about it, we are on standard time most of the time anyway. We only on the daylight saving time for a few months. Any other thoughts? My just, thought is, is that uh, one of them makes me happy, another one makes me mad. <laughs> you know, when I have to, uh, when I can sleep later, oh, that's cool. But when I have to wake up earlier than normal, I get mad. <laughs> hey, I just think that um, how long have we been? How long has daylight saving times been in existence? I mean, you know, I'm, you know, it's almost like okay, let's mess with this now, and then another ten years down the road, they'll come back and reverse it. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it's just another. I think another fad, personally. It's a long fad, though, <laughs> and it and it's been studied so much that it's clear that uh, uh, many people die. Uh, because of daylight saving time. At least that's what the data suggests. Well, you know, the, the, an argument, excuse me, the, the, an argument for it is the people that uh, have to drive and they, they don't like to drive in the dark. So, you know, uh, daylight savings time, I think, uh, sets the clock so that they have more advantage of the daylight hours uh, during regular work hours. And they have more accidents than anybody else because of daylight savings time. Uh, good morning, everyone. I have a question. Uh, wasn't it created for the purpose of the farmers? Yeah, OK. I don't know who it was created for, but uh, uh, I think a lot of it was related to thinking that it would be, you have longer light, and so it's you're better off because uh, people who are season, sad, he talked about sad, there's a seasonal affective disease that's associated with uh, uh, the darkness. and. Uh, uh, therefore, the, the, the goal was to have more light. And uh, the thought was that if you have more light, uh, you're better off. You don't have kids going to school in the dark and that kind of thing. Uh, and also, uh, so, so uh, the driving force was to have uh, a day with as much light as possible. Uh, and, but I don't know way back when they started it, uh, whether farmers were the target or not. Any other comments about that? Because I think it's a topic that is going to be discussed. Uh, the, the, the concern was that the uh, Senate approved it without a whole lot of discussion. <clears throat> and so in the House, there's going to be a lot of discussion about it. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether the 
permanent problems that are associated with this will uh, be recognized and, and, and addressed. Because the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is not uh, objecting to uh, changing. They just objecting to making it daylight savings time. Because they feel that the health risks that associated with it are uh, uh, extensive. And the, the data is voluminous that uh, indicates that also the motor vehicle crashes and the heart attacks and the depression. Uh, so. Didn't they, didn't they something to save time? Say again? Didn't they ab abolish it or something? No, the Senate, the Senate voted against it, but it has to go to the House, and the House will have to uh, make that final decision. Isn't there a state that uh, doesn't do daylight savings time? Yeah, there are some states. That, yeah, I think Arizona is one of the states. So some states have taken a position already. I wonder if they have uh, more healthy people in Arizona because of that. Uh, we don't know. I don't know. It's certain they don't have uh, this problem that we have with daylight savings time with the uh, adverse cardiovascular events, mood disorders, and motor vehicle crashes. But that's just one state out of uh, uh, Close to 60, so. I think they moved the thinking about the children going to school in the dark. They um, changed, once daylight saving time was implemented, they started moving time back for the children to start school. You know. Uh, well, that's I, one of the reasons, yeah. Yeah, you know, the standard time, school was from nine to three or whatever. You know, but then now they go to school at 7.30, 8, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and they don't get enough sleep. So. Yeah. So it has its disadvantages and advantages. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the house and whether it's turned, out, turned, turned around or not. But the medical perspective is that it's not good for your health. Now, this is another subject that, that has gotten a lot of discussion about whether or not intermittent fasting is good for weight loss, weight loss, short term or long term. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how many have tried this, but uh, they talk about that uh, many people cannot do the long term fasting like uh, Moses and Jesus Christ did for uh, 40 days and 40 nights and all that. So they will not eat one day and then eat the next day. And they call that intermittent fasting. And uh, one of the disadvantages of some say of fasting is that you fast and it's good for you, but then you put the weight back on mm -hmm. long term. Uh, and intermittent fasting is thought that uh, it may accomplish some of the things that you can't accomplish with uh, 
profound long-term fasting. I don't know how many of you have tried intermittent fasting, but it's uh, thought to help with being overweight, obesity and hypertension, and of course, diabetes. Doctor, the- I, I tried it and, uh, you know, where you, um, you eat for eight hours and you fast mm-hmm. for 16. And then, uh, you know, because I do all sorts of research on YouTube or whatever, and, uh, or, um, but talking to my nutritionist and what I'm also seeing is, you know, someone like me with liver issues, we don't need to be fasting. We need to, uh, you know, to nourish our body, you know, and just eat smaller meals. I mean, my, my, I asked my nutritionist about it and she was like, no, no, no. You just eat smaller meals and just keep your body, uh, you know, fed with nutrition. That's me as a liver liver uh, patient. Any other thoughts about it? Well, I know the intermittent fasting was like you, as as um, Kevin was talking about. You um, let's say, for example, you 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 fast for about sixteen to eighteen hours. Let's say from six p.m to 11 a.m. Then you eat from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And that, that's the intermittent fasting um, process. They want you, your body to, to rest. I think that's, that's you know, and, and in the morning when you get up, it's like, if you're not hungry, don't eat. Don't eat and, and, and you, they want you to wait, uh, as I said, a good 16 to 18 hours before you take that first meal. Hmm. And then you have that window of eating a nutritional balanced meal with no junk and snacks. <laughs> and then it starts all over again at 6, 6 p.m. going back to 11 mm. or 12 p.m. And you only have a certain window that you are able to eat. Mm. Now I've yeah, tried it. Sometimes it works. Some, you know, it depends on <laughs> if I'm hanging out with Carol Tatum. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they don't have long-term data on it but it's uh it's 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 worth trying i mean because the one thing is clear is that the gi tract uh, uh does well with uh uh not having any food in it uh it makes you feel better and uh, uh it's healthy so yeah dr calendar i heard the opposite i heard when when in between meals, uh, if if your stomach is empty, the digestive juices go in there and start eating eating your stomach. Is that true? No. <laughs> Doctor, what about all the noise your stomach makes when you don't eat? <laughs> what about it? Those that, that that just means that the the intestine is is moving. Uh, if you're not eating, the GI tract is still uh, having peristalsis, which is natural. Uh, but uh, yeah, but that that is uh, when they call hunger pangs. That's what that is. Is yeah. Uh, I've, I've tried um, fasting one complete day a week and then eating, you know, regularly, but not the intermittent. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what that's uh, more like the uh, the fasting that I that I, I knew when I was 
growing up and we had praying and fasting mm -hmm. and we would uh, fast for days uh, mm -hmm. yeah or one day a week and so forth like that yeah. i remember years ago though i did do that 40 day thing <laughs> we were having some kind of anniversary at church and my suit was too big and I, I mean too small because I'd gained weight and I did fast for 40 days to get into wow. that suit. But, uh, <laughs> did, did you get into that I suit? I was much, much younger then. Did you get into it? And yeah, I got into it. I got into <laughs> it. Uh, yep. But I haven't uh, it since then. <laughs> Dr. Dorsey? Yes. Yes. Um, I fast for 24 days, but my fast, um, and I try my best to do it every 90 days and it works wonders for my body. Uh, it is a format that I follow and portion controls are exactly what it says, portion controls, but the result is just so amazing. The toxic release and when it's all over, the way my body feels, it's just amazing. Now, I come from a generation where mothers fast 40 days. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm a branch off of that generation, but I do a fast uh, for 24 days and it is just fantastic. And I have found my experience with myself, my friends and my neighbors and family members, that toxic release is so important. And so I really encourage fasting so for those that fast, can do it. When you fast, what, what, what are you fasting from? In other words, uh, do you drink water or not water or, or do you fast from everything? Or what is your fast? Okay, uh, there are certain foods I don't eat. I'm on a healthy diet, okay? And it's portion control, okay? For example, like a good example is fruit. I don't eat fruit after a certain time, okay? And I, I have... Um, so, so what I'm asking is, for 24 days, do you eat anything at all? Yes, do you drink? yes, huh? yes, I oh, do. You do oh, yes. do you drink anything at all? Yes, I do. Oh, yes. Okay. So it's different from the biblical fasts. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Okay, I see. So what okay. types of food do you eat or drink? Oh, you're talking to me? Yes. yes. I'm sorry. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you are talking to the doctor. I'm just a oh. coach, wellness coach. <laughs> uh, I have a schedule plan and it's called like a 24 uh, day jump start. Okay, I start off with, um, it's a journal I have. And I start off in the morning with, a, with an energy drink to give me some nutrients in my body. Okay, oh, let me turn this down. Sorry, I'm doing double testing. Um, and then I go with a probiotic. And at night, I go with a cleanser. And what I do during the course of the day, I have um, food, but it's small portions. And I use the um, 
diabetic carb sheet, which tells you how your portions look. And it's just, it's, it's just a schedule I go by what I do. I know. And, it, it, and it's pre-script. Okay. I hope that answered your question. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Any other thoughts about this fasting as we have a different definition of uh, fasting for all of these things? Yeah, I wanted to ask about Dick Gregory. Uh, uh, Dick Gregory tried to do the biblical fast and it didn't work out a few too well. Times. Yeah, he did it several times. Well, there, I, I, it's interesting because uh, um, when people talk about fasting, it's important to understand what they mean by fast. Mm -hmm. Because some people, when they fast, they don't eat any food at all. Some people uh, drink water. Some people don't drink water or eat anything. And so it's important that you identify when you say you're fasting what your fasting consists of. And you have some people, for example, during Lent, uh, they will uh, not eat meat, they will not eat this or that or the other. So, so it, it's important when people say they are fasting to find out what they mean by that. What are they, what are they doing without? Yeah, so whenever they talk about fasting, try to identify. But Dick Gregory and some others, uh, often they would, their fast would involve no food, but would involve uh, water. Yeah, that time I did the 40 days, I only drank water. And yeah. when I, the same when I do the one day a week, I only drink water. And I'm, like the Daniel fast is more like uh, what uh, Dr. Deutsch is talking about. And, uh, uh, so, and those fasts uh, don't, don't involve not eating or drinking. It involves eating a special diet. And the, the Daniel fast is based upon what the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did uh, uh, when they uh, were taken to a different country and they, they proved that you could uh, be healthy uh, with uh, fasting. The Daniel fast. Well, doctor, um, is it true that I mean you could die, you're going to die quicker without without water than without food? That's correct. You know, and that's why most most fasts include water. Yeah. Okay. And people have died fasting. Mm -hmm. that's a good so it it requires an intelligent uh, fast. Uh, and you wonder how uh, Moses and Jesus Christ did their 40 days, 40 night fasting, but they did it and uh, they were better for it. Uh, and uh, so, so it's an interesting topic uh, that uh, uh, can be helping. And as, uh, as you have stated, uh, once, once you've done those fasts, you, you find out how your GI tract feels so wonderful afterwards, after having a rest from some of the uh, foods we put into our GI tracts. <laughs> yeah. um, Go ahead. Excuse me. There is a book, um, Eating 
eating and cooking, getting back to nature by Dick Gregory, who talks extensively about fasting and a doctor that he shared that with and all of the reasons for the fast, as you mentioned, you start to lose a fear of poverty, a fear of many things, but you have to decide what you're fasting for. Um, I inadvertently fasted a couple of times, once 40 days and once for 21 days. And it was actually the best thing I could have ever done um, for me and my body. And I was like really surprised at the bulk of waste that kept coming. The only thing I craved on my fast was wine. I did do water um, and some, the second one was with smoothies, but it's real personal and you really have to have that mindset to be able to get to a place to do that. And I believe that it can be helpful. Yeah, well, Dr. Callan, I know that everybody has to do a partial fast when they get ready to have a colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Of course, the worst thing about the colonoscopy is the the stuff they get you to drink. But <laughs> the fast is not the problem. It's that yeah. that off horrible tasting stuff that you have to drink. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's a good topic to discuss because uh, it, it it does have its uh, tremendous value, positive value, and you probably never feel as good uh, as when you have fasted. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, as you said, it's very personal, and uh, uh, it it, it kind of depends upon uh, what you're fasting for and what your reason, and uh, also what is your commitment. In speaking of uh, the water, uh, is it is is it any time that you, you is it too much water? To, you know, can you? actually drink too much water a day? You can, but usually your body lets you know when you are overdoing it with water. Uh, but anything can be done in excess, including water. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Calendar, is there any such thing as a, a bowel cleanser? Sure. That medicine you take on the GI uh, in the colonoscopy is a, is a great GI cleanse. And uh, people who have liver disease, when you, uh, uh, lactulose is a great cleanser. Levulactulose, uh, people who have liver disease, uh, you have to take that. That's a great cleanser. So there are a number of cleansers. What is, what is that thing you just mentioned, doctor? Cleanser. Oh, levulactulose. Uh, people who have liver disease and they get into hepatic coma, they treat them with levulactulose and that cleans okay. out. Yeah. But uh, uh, if you don't have liver disease, you wouldn't know anything about it. But it is a great cleanser and they have a number of them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in those old days, we used to lose uh, uh, sorbitol. Uh, and K-exalate, uh, those of you old-fashioned may, that sorbitol was a great cleanser as well. Yeah. Most of those uh, cleansers are uh, sugars of sorts, uh, and they draw out everything with them. 
all the fluid in the GI tract along with them. So, so yes, you have diarrhea with it, but uh, it cleanses you. Okay, the next uh, article you have is trying to connect COVID with the increase of diabetes. Uh, and uh, uh, they have noticed that uh, the incidence of diabetes type two uh, is more common after COVID. And uh, 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 type one as well as type two, but type two has been more common than the type one. Uh, and of course, this, this mother noted that it didn't, type one doesn't run in the family, but it doesn't have to. As many of you know that uh, uh, people who don't have history of diabetes in the family can develop type one diabetes uh, with us not understanding why, <clears throat> but it does occur in which your insulin producing cells are killed by a mechanism which we're not clear on. Whether it's a virus or other thing, we're not sure, but we do know that it does happen. Mm -hmm. But we have also identified type two, uh, uh, which uh, is more usually related to uh, obesity, but uh, So whether or not this is going to bear out over time as a causative agent of diabetes, we do know that COVID can affect the pancreas. And as such, it could uh, kill the uh, beta cells in the pancreas and cause type uh, one or type two diabetes. But time will tell. This is something that is just becoming evident and whether or not it's, it's something that we well, bear out down the line remains to be seen. Any comments, questions about that? Um, Dr. Cowan, I just think that there's so many things that can cause um, diabetes, uh, mostly type two. You mentioned uh, obesity, but um, there, there are so many other things that can cause uh, type two diabetes, like you're saying. Well, it's actually, I'm not really saying that obesity is causing it, it's certainly associated with it. And then also when you lose weight, the type two diabetes might even disappear. That's for the type two. For type one, uh, we don't really understand that because uh, uh, whether you, uh, uh, lose weight or not, type one is different because what happens is the, the beta cells are dead. Okay. Whereas with type two, uh, you have what we call insulin resistant. So you still have beta cells that are functioning. And beta cells are the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. So it's a, uh, any comments? Diabetes uh, type two can also be caused uh, by medication. Yes, mm -hmm. there's some side effects of medication, like steroids. Yes.
Okay, uh, now this is a <laughs> this is an article which is very provocative, uh, and uh, what it's about is that uh, uh, if you have not been vaccinated, there are many transplant centers that will not allow you to get on the transplant waiting list unless you are vaccinated. And this then has forced a lot of discussion and uh, controversy because some people think it's unethical to require uh, people to be vaccinated before you get on the waiting list. And we've discussed this before, but the reason is that uh, the mortality rate and the morbidity rate of those people who are not vaccinated who get transplanted is much worse uh, if you are not vaccinated. And so uh, the discussion is, is it ethical for me to say you cannot be in my transplant list unless you're vaccinated? Yeah. And that's what some transplant centers are doing. And that opens up a, a, a box of discussion that uh, has been uh, very controversial and almost unending. But this article talks about why uh, and, 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 and the, the reason is because uh, we already talked about the fact that the number one problem in transplantation is the shortage of donors. So you don't wanna have an uh, uh, organ loss because of the fact that uh, you, you, the patient was not vaccinated and they got COVID and they died from COVID. And for this reason, uh, many centers are requiring that you have to be vaccinated in order to be on the transplant waiting list. And that's what this article is all about. And uh, uh, many people say it's unethical some people say it's unethical to do otherwise. Uh, and so that's what this article is all about. Dr. Callender, um, question. Um, they can't switch this thing around and say, well, we'll put you on the waiting list. If an organ comes up uh, for you, then we will go ahead and vaccinate you. Can't flip no. it around. No, they're not going to do that. No. And most centers will not do that. They will, uh, uh, because remember, it takes uh, two weeks for you to be fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So you, there's no organ that's going to be around for two weeks. So you either have to be vaccinated or not. Dr. Callan, this article also talks about the um, the uh, medical with the insurance companies, you know, and you know, I'm thinking they put money out for a transplant and all the expense associated with it, and then the person gets sick or passes. That's you know, they you know, I'm thinking it's following the money has a lot to do with this also, from the insurance company standpoint. Well, actually, it has nothing to do. With it. Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with it because. The transplant centers do it independent of insurance companies. Mm, okay. 
doctor, I mean, I would think that, um, because I, I talked to a doctor up at Hopkins about, you know, being on a transplant list. And, uh, and you know, I had a, a varices that imploded at one point, And that was because I made a decision not to take the blood pressure medication because how it was making me feel. And that might have had an effect on my varices. And that doctor pretty much gave me the impression of like, if you're not going to take care of your body, we're not going to put you on the list. So, I, you know, I, I guess the science is out there saying vaccination works. If you probably smoked, they're not going to put you on the list. If you probably drink, they're not going to put you on the list. They just want to know that they're going to give this kidney uh, liver to a, a patient that's going to take care of himself or herself. So I don't know if it has anything to do with ethics or not. It's just like, you know, we're, they're just being uh, practical. Like, uh, if we give you this, you got to take care of yourself. There you go. Any other comments or questions? Because it's an is issue that is discussed and people have uh, taken the position that it is the right thing to do and some think it's the wrong thing to do, so. The anti-vax people think that it's not fair to them. Okay, no other discussion of that. Then this is something that uh, people are still worried about, and that they notice in Western Europe and Israel and other places uh, that there's this COVID surge again with the uh, Omicron subvariant is even more transmissible than the original one. Mm -hmm. And uh, the question is, is that gonna happen here as well? And so uh, experts on the alert, they are suggesting that the uh, booster that protects you against the Omicron will protect you against the new variant as well. Uh, but uh, still, the data in Europe and the data in Israel make it uh, attractive to wonder if a, another booster shot is necessary. Mm. <laughs> Any comment or questions about this and whether we're going to require, it's clear that there's much data, I think there's another article that talks about who would need the booster shot. And most people think it would be the over 65 population. Uh, but there's still a lot of discussion. Time will tell, but we don't know. 69% of the United States people are fully vaccinated, so. There are varying thoughts about whether or not an additional booster shot is necessary. Yes. Now, this is another article that talks about uh, transplant recipients because it is clear that uh, some transplant recipients, in spite of uh, getting a vaccination and booster shot, still uh, 
about 30, 30 to 40% still are not uh, boosted. Oh. They don't have a antibody level that's uh, desirable. And this article points out that uh, uh, with the additional booster shot, that uh, uh, a significant number of people have had their antibody titers increased. And so the bottom line is that uh, it is desirable for them to get a booster shot. And, it's, and, and this is true of the transplant recipients as well as those people who are immunocompromised for other reasons, because there are other people who are immunocompromised who are not transplant recipients. Some cancer patients and some other uh, patients with lupus and other diseases uh, have uh, medications that compromise the immune system. Any comment, the, the issue of uh, the need for a third uh, shot and perhaps a fourth shot for some transplant recipients. And the only way to tell is to have a test of your immune system. They look at these cells, the T cells and the antibody titers. And what is interesting is that uh, the protection given by the infection and the protection by the vaccine may sometimes be different. And the immunity uh, of the infection combined with the vaccination is even better. And this looks at uh, the number of people, although the number is not, not enough, but based upon the type of immunotherapy that they're given. But the problem is that you don't have enough numbers to be able to tell. But it is clear that uh, many of the transplant patients uh, are not responding to the uh, vaccination in, in significant number, enough for them to be protected against coronavirus. And that, that's pretty much what this article is about. And, uh, this pro provoked Moderna and Pfizer to want a second booster. Uh, the only question is, who is it for? Should it be all adults over 18? Or should it be only those over 65? And that is where the FDA is 
wrestling with this issue uh, and so far has not authorized it yet. And there are other discussions and there are other articles that talk about some of the other problems that are associated with requiring another booster shot. Dr. Callender, um, on my um, lab request, uh, is there something to check on my antibody tithers? No. No, that would require a special test. <laughs> it's an interesting article because people in the White House have uh, tested positive for the virus. Uh, Obama tested positive. Uh, actually, uh, other people in the White House have tested positive. Hillary Clinton just tested positive, didn't she? Who? Hillary Clinton? Yeah, she tested positive too. Yeah, right. But she's not in the White House, though. Well, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> the second man tested positive, Doug Emhoff. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that uh, virus was left there in the White House by the former president. Yeah, no, right. no, 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 sorry, that won't work, it's a different virus. Support it. It's a different virus, sorry, that's not going to work. We can drain Trump for a lot of things, but not for that. Okay. Yeah, now the other thing that becomes of concern is who's going to pay for it. And we well, have on that too. We can pay for all these bombs, then we can pay for it. Well, that's what you say, but we have an article that comes up that demonstrates that uh, they have taken that out of the budget. Mm, mm, mm. Common sense would agree with you, but the reality is a little different. Will insurance companies pick it up? Uh, Medicare uh, and Medicare recipients so far would cover it. That's the over 65 group. But the 18 to 65, that's another question. See that statement down there? Congress failed to approve a $15.6 billion request for new pandemic funding. Now, why they would do that is, uh, uh, well, anyway, no comment. Just that's <laughs> not wise anyway. But that's what they did. Mm -hmm. 
see this this is an article that talks more about the fact that uh, we're talking about a new way without funding right so uh, what's going to happen we'll, we'll see be caught with the pants down again <laughs> yeah well we shall see we shall see but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what FDA rules on this We'll win the war in Ukraine while people at home die of COVID illness. Say again. All the money's going over to Ukraine while the people at home are going to die of COVID. Well, we shall see. It's, it's, it's not too late for them to uh, to reinstitute the funding that they've taken away. But. Uh, we hope that you're wrong, but we shall see. One of the uh, likely things they're going to do is make it available for those over 65. That's my thought, anyway. And because there are many reports that suggest that uh, it's not as beneficial for those between 18 and 65. But time will tell. And it seems almost, it seems clear to me that we're going to need an annual booster for COVID. Yeah. Just like we're going to need for the, just like we get for the flu. Flu, sure. At least annual. Yeah. Especially as this article says, since we're now going massless everywhere. Not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wise, you're wise. Yeah, I looked at the hockey game the other night. I didn't see anybody with a mask on. Yeah, that's right. I know. Uh, I went to a basketball game about one about 10 percent had mass all of the uh, ushers had mass anybody have any idea why this is republicans are skeptical of new covid funding what what they're what not skeptical that? republicans don't want to fund people they fund war and, and subsidize business, but when it comes to people and their health, then he thinks people should, should pull themselves up by their own bootstrap. Well, time will tell what we will really do when push comes to shove. Because it may turn out that you're right, that they only care about uh, other things is not about people.
Well, this is a, a subject of great disappointment and uh, concern. And over the next week or so, we will uh, find out what our lawmakers are all about, as, as well as what our president is all about. Well, it's going to be interesting how this plays out in terms of the elections that are coming up. Uh, that last statement uh, about uh, was says, we've learned, experience has taught us that new variants can combat with a vengeance if we aren't ready. Yeah, that's correct. So we shall see what we shall see. Well, you know, um, anyone that I work with always, my thing is keep your immune system strong. Yes, that's, that's, that's the best advice. That's the best advice. And we've had articles that talk about how to keep the immune system strong. And we've had a lot of discussion today about ways in which to keep the immune system strong. Let's do the next one, which is uh, that that's something we discussed already. And we we will soon. It, it goes right along with what the last comment you made. And uh, we just have to wait and see. It's uh, scary, but uh, and we're the population that is most likely to be affected by it, 65 and over. There are many articles that suggest that the 18 to 65 is not as likely to be uh, impacted about, about this uh, new surge uh, than will be the people over 65. But, Time will tell. But I think the comment that uh, someone made earlier and that uh, she's going to keep her mask on makes the most sense. Yes. Keep your immune system uh, ready and your mask on. That's yes. probably the most sensible advice you can have. Okay, is this the last one? Uh, John? Just one more. Okay, let's go to that one. Okay. It's almost 10.30. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, this is a good one to end on. Um, and this, uh, this shows that it's, it is spreading across the United States. However, uh, the, the area is going to be spreading most as those people who are not vaccinated. Oh, okay. And it's thought that this is more highly transmissible. Um, which uh, means that uh, if you uh, are not protected by that vaccine that, and you've not had an infection before, 
uh, that you're, you're likely to be impacted by it. What, what happens is that those people who are vaccinated are protected for the most part against hospitalization and mortality. Doesn't mean they won't get the infection. It also it's clear that when you get the infection, you do become infectious. Uh, as uh, John Buchanan has said so many times. <laughs> and uh, so uh, you then can spread it to people who have not been vaccinated uh, and to some who have been vaccinated can be reinfected. So, so uh, what's next for us? Question is, uh, will you have more hospitalizations and deaths? Uh, and that time will tell. Dr. Callender, what has doubled? Is it the virus itself or the number of people that got affected? I think it's uh, both. Um, uh, the only, the only difference is that most of the deaths and hospitalizations occur in those people who are not vaccinated, but uh, it, it has doubled. Doctor, do you know, um, I haven't heard the figure lately because of other things going on in the news, and, uh, but how many people are we averaging uh, per you know, week that are dying from COVID? Well, this, uh, this figure here tells you uh, uh, in March, and we're still in March, so. Because it used to be around 2,000, wasn't it? Uh, it says 3,000 or more. Wow. Yeah. So it's dropped, but it's still, still between one and 2,000. That's a lot. Yes. And it's just that most of those people are unvaccinated. So the question is, yes, they are effective. Uh, they work well in fending off severe illness, hospitalization and death, but uh, so being vaccinated uh, and uh, having been previously infected uh, it's beneficial. You know, um, Pisaki, the press secretary, uh, she she got COVID for the second time. Oh. Yeah, well, a number of people have gotten COVID for the second time, but many of them are asymptomatic. But still, they're symptomatic, but they still are infectious. And that's the problem. Dr. Kelly, explain asymptomatic again. Means you have the virus, but you don't have any symptoms at all. Okay. In other words, you feel normal, but you have a positive uh, test. That means you can spread the virus. Uh, 
even though it's not affecting you. This this question here is the critical yes. word for the world. Well, we know there's no, there's no question about that. Will other variants emerge? Yes, of course. Yeah, but <laughs> that's it, the nature of viruses. The, the the answer though is answer is yes. All, all all those. I mean, the reason I mean is that all those people who are not vaccinated who allow the the uh, virus to flourish in them and mutate. That, that's, I think, how the, uh, the new variants come up, right? Yes, sir. And that's why it's so important that uh, we, we have equitable allocation of, of the vaccinations uh, all over the world. And that's one of the sore spots is that uh, there are people who do not want to be vaccinated and there are people we do not share vaccine enough so that they can be vaccinated. And that, that those are the elements that are uh, more likely be responsible for the emergence of the variants as you stated. Dr. Callender, this is the way that evolution works, isn't it? That's, yeah. That's one of the ways. So it's you know, uh, Pence said evolution is only a theory. Well, most of the things that we talk about are only theories. <clears throat> uh, the, it's interesting that uh, when we talk about creation and uh, the laws uh, that uh, are in place, uh, who sets up those laws? And uh, uh, God Almighty or uh, and uh, uh, these laws uh, apply to the viruses and they apply to humans. And uh -huh. uh, so it's important for us to realize who's in control. You're talking about be fruitful and multiply? <laughs> no, I'm talking about. <laughs> All of the above, huh? All of the above. <laughs> okay, so this is the last slide. Uh, this has been an uh, interesting uh, discussion of so many variations on a theme uh, that uh, very productive. We've gone from fasting to physician uh, suicides to uh, to daylight savings time and standard time. We covered the waterfront today. Uh, so, uh, any, yeah. burning, any burning questions or comments? As we've applauded Buchanan for getting into the uh, NIH Transfusion Hall of Fame. It's been a, an awesome day for us, starting off with John Buchanan's uh, entry into the Hall of Fame and. Uh, uh, yeah. Talking about fasting, different types of fasting, uh, and also uh, recognizing the the importance of uh, continuing to mask and continue to build up your immune system, and uh, try to stay healthy as uh, uh, these uh, treacherous times from the violence from without 
and the violence from within. Oh, wow. Dr. Ajo, you have any comments you want to make? I have a comment. Okay. Okay. Um, I noticed that right before the announcement of COVID-19, there was a surge, an emergency surge of planting trees. Um, and I noticed that um, as you drive throughout the U.S., it, it was just um, everyone was planting trees. And we know what the purpose of trees does for our air. And then as we got into COVID-19, I noticed that uh, the advertisement was telling people common things. Wash your hands. Uh, things that that are just common. And I noticed that with the environment, people are throwing out more trash than ever. And when we were in the heart of the, of the COVID-19 virus, people were doing unspeakable things when it came to trash on the streets. And to me, that's, and you look at the trees, some of the trees now, they're covered with fungus green fungus and trash just sits in the streets from day after day after. So I think there's other factors and variables that, uh, that are affecting the air, therefore affecting the COVID-19. That's just my belief. Okay, any other comments before we close? Well, thank you very much for attending and uh, look forward to seeing you next week and have a good weekend. Thank you, thank Doctor. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you for all the information. Thank you. Everyone. Be safe, everyone. Have a good day on the calendar. Thank you, Mr. Tatum. You're welcome. See you next week. All right. All right. I will see you tomorrow. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. At uh, one o'clock or 12? 12 o'clock. All right. Thank you. Have a nice day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. See you now. Carol, Sylvia talked about you. Ah! She said some of her fasting is because running around with you. <laughs> <laughs> I said I couldn't couldn't complete all my fasting because of running around with Carol Tatum. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Okay. All righty. All right. You all have a blessed day. You too. Okay. Marilyn, you look real laid back. Yep, I am. Oh, John John Tatum, we, we have a, a a new visitor. Claude finally made it. Oh, is he still on? Yes, I am. Hi, Claude. How are you, John? Good, hey. good, good, good. Welcome. Thank you. Very interesting uh, today. Um, learned a lot. I, I'm, matter of fact, I'm, I could only, uh, I arrived around 10, 10 15. I mean, I'm sorry, about 10, 10. Didn't okay. catch a whole meeting, but what I did catch was very, very, very informative. 
Very good, very good. Well, come come earlier next time. We start at nine. If you can get, you know, I know people's schedules are, are something else, but welcome. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Yep. And everyone else. Yep. And Elizabeth, thank you for your contribution. And John, thank you so much for letting me know and inviting me. Not a problem. Okay, see you next week. Yeah. Yeah.